Paradise in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, it's the Third Chair Summit. Welcome to SN Hell. Me and Matt are finished with Season 3, getting ready to start up Season 4 really soon. But in the meantime, we thought we'd go back in time and maybe right or wrong. Because in Season 1, when we made our, our lists of favorite sketches, Matt and I didn't consult with a third chair. So rather than just consult with one third chair, we're here tonight with um, seven different third chairs. My name is Keith. With me as always, my good buddy, Matt. Hello, Matt. How excited are you for our third chair summit? Honored, Keith. Absolutely honored. So who all do we have here tonight, Matt? We've got a ton of folks. We've got Chili. Hello. Uh, we've got Jen with us. Hi, everyone. We've got Kevin. That Kevin's on mute. So let's go to another Kevin, one who is yet to be a third chair, but will hopefully be in season four or five. Ahoy, ahoy. <laughs> and again, uh, back again, again, is Mark. Hello, Mark. Hello. And Ron is with us as well. Hey, everybody. Great to be here. It's Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hey, Keith. Hey, everyone. And Sean has joined us. Hey, Sean. Hello. Wow. So what we've done is we've gone through the our, our top picks of season one. We've added in a few of the ones that are often referred to as the best sketches of season one by various media outlet and stuff. And we've also gone on and uh, made a big video and sent them to all our third chairs to watch. And we're going to go through today each of these sketches, chat a little bit about each. And uh, at the end, everyone's going to name their top three. Adrian was also invited to join us tonight, but couldn't make it. But Adrian's already sent her top three for us to fill in. And we're going to do a sort of point system. Three points for number one, two points for number two, one point for number three. I got a big spreadsheet here, as always. And whatever we wind up as the top, top score is going to be our best sketch of season one. Do you think people are going to be happy about this, Matt? Or do you think people are going to say there's no way that's the best sketch of season one? Oh, yeah, of course. That's the, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. I think cosmically, I'm not going to be happy. I know. I'm not gonna be happy. <laughs> season one. Let's go all the way back to season one, episode seven. The first sketch we had on our list is word association. This was uh, Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase. Pryor was applying for a job and Chase said he had passed all the tests just had to do a little bit of word association. Sketch written by uh, Paul Mooney, possibly helped by Pryor and Chase. Uh, this is one that's very memorable. Um, it makes that Rolling Stone list at number 10. On the night, Matt and I uh, and uh, third chair D at the time were actually more taken by the sketch Black Family Takeover, but uh, that certainly didn't seem to stick in our minds the way this one did. I forgot how good Chevy Chase was in it. I really liked his matter-of-fact delivery, and even though the focus is on Pryor's escalating anger and the twitching of the face, uh, I, I in, on a rewatch, was really uh, also impressed with Chevy Chase, which I wasn't yeah. the first time. I'd say it's a, an eyebrow raiser when looked at, you know, so many years uh, past when it was done, but interesting. Still shocking he got away with saying honky. 
<laughs> yeah, that's honky is that? <laughs> honky honky. Matt, you you made a good point by bringing up how good Chevy is with the cool, calm, matter of fact, and it 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 let, uh, lends a real nice balance to sort of uh, give uh, Pryor the room to go with his escalation and the contrast. I think this is perfectly executed. I did the conversion rate on the pay rates that he was offering him. So at the base rate, the 5,000, it would have been by today's standards, it would have been 28,000 a year that he was offering him. And the end rate would have been um, over 85,000 a year. So just to put into perspective, the raises wow. that he gave him in the end. He would have been the highest paid janitor. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's that's awesome. So I think across the board, everyone likes this sketch. Might not be your top three, but but definitely a like likable sketch, uh, despite its, its controversy. Am I right? Yes. The acting did it, the two guys. Jaws 2 Landshark. This becomes a recurring character, of course. Parody of Jaws. It's got Belushi and Aykroyd in there as a chi, uh, as Brody Hooper, is it? Yeah, Brody and Hooper. And, of course, the Landshark tricking women at the door and eating them. Candace Bergen was the host that night. That's from uh, episode four of season one, of course. Uh, again, very popular one with Matt and I. Landshark still continues into season three, making sporadic appearances. Uh, I know we got some Jaws fans on the panel. I uh, think Lorraine's hair was not quite at uh, perfect disco queen levels yet. That's what really stood out. <laughs> sketch. She's missing disco queen hair. And I'd actually forgot about Belushi and Dan's bits, which were really fun, because when he grimaced so violently at Egg Salad again, after they saw the body, I really got a good laugh out of it. And uh, Garrett doing almost doing the flare flop with the brochures, uh, I'd forgotten about that too. So still, still, still new highlights for me. I still love it. You can tell this was done before Jaws 2, 3, and 4, because Landshark is actually not as inconceivable a plot as Jaws 4. This is more realistic <laughs> than the shark which was blown up in the first movie, somehow tracking its family across land, seemingly, for revenge on the other side of the continent. Yeah, I found I found this uh, sketch to be like a uh, like a comedic version of like a Stephen King book. Uh, there's enough funny things happening throughout, but then the they didn't stick the landing. I get I get the comedy of okay, well, wham, uh, it wasn't what I was expecting, but I it it, it was kept me entertained throughout it was uh one of the few i genuinely laughed at i was just gonna say i would disagree on not sticking the landing i uh i really thought they nailed it we've talked before about how hard it is to to write the ending of a sketch and i feel like that big swerve and the big goofy like matt said almost flare flop drop of garrett totally unexpected uh i thought it was a great ending myself i was also chiming in to defend the ending um, I think it works particularly well in this case because, and I don't know if they had the foresight at the time, but this became a reoccurring sketch. So almost you kind of want that satisfaction of the ending of the woman like standing up for herself and like catching on that there's danger behind the door. So then the twist kind of works if you want it to continue because the land shark's still out there. Writing an, uh, an absurd sketch and getting an ending for it is super difficult. I will, I will tell you that right now from um, experience sake, trying to write the end for a sketch understood yeah yeah and he's still out there you know to this day we still have uh, land sharks to worry about we're now off to our next sketch which is looks at books this is the very first appearance of emily latella the name latella actually um, you know kind of a, uh, a spin on like a spanish version of little 
I think this was written by uh, Rosie Schuster and Ann Beats. Um, I'm actually sure it was. Um, but this is one of the few times we get to see Emily Latella, who will go on to be one of the longest reigning characters on the show, doing something different. Uh, she becomes a weekend update correspondent. This kind of shook me. I kind of got used to seeing uh, Emily sitting next to Jane or Chevy. And uh, to see her in this was kind of refreshing in a weird way. Not a big fan of the character, uh, but I would say this is probably the best use of her. You know, I got sick of seeing her on Weekend Update regularly, so it was nice mm. to see her in a different situation. Our next one is a, is a popular one amongst all of the folks that watched the episode. Um, it didn't sweep, but everybody seemed to like it. And it's the uh, household hints where Jane is a cleaning dominatrix teaching Gilda how to clean. Big one for Matt. Matt liked this one. Uh, Bit of a crush on one Jane Curtin. Just to reiterate how I felt about it previously, uh, Jane has that divine, perfect 70s wave in her hair. Uh, <laughs> I, I forgot about Gilda's good line about, I don't know, scrubbing and mopping, I guess. I thought that was really funny this time. I think I missed it last time. Jane screaming, look at it, got a good laugh at me, out of me. Yeah, I, I, I had no change in opinion in this. I loved it. It ran too long and never felt like it had a, an, an ending. They were just like, uh, we just got to wrap this up now. And it, and it ended. And, I, and watching it the second time, it still felt that way. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 it didn't make my cut of top five. As Hi. soon as I saw the jacket come off, I knew instantly that this was going to be in Matt's like, <laughs> favorite sketch of all time. Uh, but, yeah, no, this is a lot of fun. I think Jane's great in it. Uh, she comes in with the, the sort of dour but, like, reserved thing going on. And as soon as she lets loose... Nonstop till the end. I love this. Um, I also enjoyed this. It took some turns I wasn't quite expecting. You know, I kind of thought that the housewife would get like really scared and would turn like be like, no, 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 no. This is not what I want. This is not what I want. But then I was like, no, I need you to do my like. It was like, teach me how to do this. I was like, oh, I did not think that's what she was going to say. <laughs> so it, it was quite well done. Uh, the hair was fabulous. Good couple of laughs from me. Our next one we go to is, uh, oh, that sketch was from the Anthony Perkins episode, number 16. Our next one we go to is uh, Beethoven, starring Belushi. Might have been written by Belushi, too. If not, it was based on the uh, Ray Charles impression he did from episode six, Lily Tomlin. In this one, Beethoven gets a little bit of powder in his nose and goes into uh, What I Say by Ray Charles with Gilda and Lorraine as his wife and maid. Uh, providing some pretty cool backup. This one I really enjoyed the night of. Um, there was some concern uh, about it making fun of his deafness. I, I don't think that was as an issue with this sketch. Got to see a good impression of Ray Charles, and uh, it was a fun sketch. I know, Matt, I don't remember where you sat on this one. I know the, the panel was divided on the night, but how did you uh, enjoy this one tonight? Gilder and Lorraine were absolutely terrific. Uh, I Just as you described it, is there some implication there about Ray Charles and cocaine, or was that just a coincidence? There was more of these that night, right? I remember more yes. yelling at him. Uh, were, yeah, so this wasn't my favorite one of those, for sure. Yeah, there were three. Um, the other two were, were significantly shorter, yeah. Yeah, I liked the more the what the one where they this maybe it was the other two of them where they just yelled at him a lot. I thought that was funnier. Yeah, I thought Belushi was really good in this one, and I also liked that it kind of showed off his singing. Yeah, I disagree. This stank. <laughs> I actually really like the movie Blues Brothers, but I hate the characters, and oh, there's just something about it. Like we're gonna be talking about a 
better sketch with another <laughs> cast member singing later on. I don't know. I didn't even find that Ray Charles is that good. To be fair, the episode that Ray Charles hosts, we hear Ray Charles, then we hear Belushi, and it's they don't sound much alike. I'll give you that. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> true. It's a stretch to say that that's a Ray Charles impression. But yeah. anyway... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, to yeah. I didn't particularly enjoy this one myself either. So I'm yeah. in the same boat with Chili there on that one. And I yeah. think maybe the uh, powder in the nose joke, it wasn't about Ray Charles. It was just Belushi couldn't wait till the camera was off. Well, there was rumors. That I think it's just rumors that that was real. You could very well be right. Next one on the list is one I'm not particularly fond of, but Matt, you adored it. Um, Elliot Gould, episode 1.9, Interior Demolitionists. Matt, maybe you can say more about this one than I can. I wasn't a huge fan of it myself. Listen, dude, this is one of those ones. I, this was fucking stupid. Uh, it was just a lot of noise and smashing, and I hated watching it this time. What? What? Anyone? Oh, come on. <laughs> stupid sketches are the best sketches. I actually kind of <laughs> like this one, but you know that. <laughs> You know my yeah. realness when it comes to sketch comedy. I like stupid stuff. <laughs> uh, no, I thought it was uh, all right. Like, I wouldn't say it's a highlight of most of the stuff we're watching today, but I, I you know, I didn't hate it. Stupid, fun sketch. Maybe I can see how on rewatch it might not be as funny. It was just the absurdity of it. It, it did have me, like, laughing out loud sitting by myself. So <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, like, I, I found Jane was really fun in this. And so I always give a bit of extra points for two things. One, it looked like they were having fun doing it. Yeah. And also, especially with like uh, like the wrecking ball and some of the stuff they had to use, the sketch had a higher than normal uh, possibility of going wrong as far as like technically. Yeah. But, you know, they sort of pulled off the, the demolition as well as you could, aside from, I think, the vase at the end not breaking. But that kind of makes it a bit funnier. So that was it looked my like they had fun part. doing it. So that gets some points. Yeah, I think there was a delay part. when they blew up the couch too, but they all held it together. It really wasn't that noticeable. The the vase not breaking at the end was probably the best part in it, in my opinion, and they didn't intend for that to happen. Yeah, I agree because that's why you need to get the pros because you can't do it yourself. I. I... <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's how I heard. Okay, okay. Yeah, I agree too. It was really funny. Our next one is uh, a favorite of mine from when I was a youngster. This was on one of the tapes, a lot of the specials. Also from the Elliot Gould 1.9 episode, new shimmer. It's not a floor wax. It's a dessert topping. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big sucker for the ads. Everyone knows that. And this is one of the uh, one of the really good ones. Big, big fan. Uh, I don't remember on the night either, but I think Chevy was a pretty good pitch man that uh, I guess Dan stepped into otherwise in his absence. And yeah, it was silly. I can like stupid stuff, guys. I just thought that last one was just fucking really <laughs> stupid. This one. Yeah, it's good. It's fine. I, I, I really liked how much Dan is enjoying eating it, especially. Yeah, I feel like one of the tricks with stupid sketches is they've got to be kind of short and punchy. And I feel like they nail this. Like, it's the perfect amount of time. And even, like, the finish with Chevy leaning out from behind the logo mm-hmm. uh, is just so tight. Like, every movement, every moment is is comical and enjoyable and stupid in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. That is exactly the key, uh, Mark. It's, it's the zany ones are funny when they really roll quick and everybody's committed to it. Now, speaking of stupid, silly ads, this is one of my favorites from the season and one of my favorites uh, to date. Germisol, the giant roll-on house deodorant, which uh, I I watched again about six times putting this tape together or this uh, collection together. 
and uh, still holds up with me. Everything I think you guys said about Shimmer was there. Maybe not as intense, but there was definitely commitment. The state of Lorraine's hair. And I'm not <laughs> trying to just spend this episode talking about hair, but oh my God, the state of it. Uh, I, I still think it's pretty funny, you know, and kind of to Mark's point, it's in, it's out, it's quick, it's silly, it's fun. And yeah, I, I was still on board. I, it got some good chuckle. I definitely don't like it as much as you. Don't get me no. wrong. No, uh, but I think it's fine. I, I would agree that I like New Shimmer better. I found the sincerity in the Germasol sold it harder. So I found it maybe funnier than it might have. Because like the first one's so zany and wacky. But then you have them just like so down to earth and sincere. While they've got this just cartoonishly large fumbling with it prop. It was, I don't know. I thought this was good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Mark, I thought just the hilarity of them. Uh, just trying to control this giant prop, um, the physicalness of it was that alone was quite hilarious and gave me a good couple of laughs on that. We're now off to one that isn't in and out quickly. It's a very famous one, often mentioned by Garrett as one of his favorites uh, from his run on the show. One of the ones written by Lauren Michaels with a lot of input from others, but it's Life or Follies from uh, season one, episode 11, hosted by Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Cook is actually in the sketch. They're doing a production of Gigi at a prison. Peter Cook is playing a director who's going to cast the show, and he needs some uh, some people serving uh, life sentences to appear in the show. We get uh, little performances, audition pieces, if you will, from Dan, Chevy, Garrett, and John. Um, a lot of good stuff in here. Of course, Garrett walks away with it with his going to get me a shotgun song. Uh, I know, Matt, you liked this one. We did have some <laughs> reservations about some of it. Uh, I liked this one. Uh, I mean, I guess the talking point here is, is did Garrett walk away with it or was there enough good elsewhere? Matt, let's uh, listen to you first. Yeah, like, of course, it's Garrett's favorite. He was like the funniest in it. But if I was in the funniest shit, that'd be my favorite sketch, too. Um, I, I really think we're sleeping on Chevy's fucking horrible, dark fucking performance that I, that actually got a rise out of my eyebrows because I must have forgot about it. But I had no idea what a horrifying sex offender he played uh, in this sketch. Other than him and Garrett, I think the rest of it is a waste of time. Uh, but holy shit, I, I, I wrote down Chevy's little girl song gets real dark real fast. OMG. Man, Chevy was a star. Uh, this reminds me of the the episode we watched that had the, the lawyer sketch with Steve Martin. It was very, had very dark undertones with its source material as well and it was just kind of played up for shock value for the most part i find that chevy's character in this particular sketch is just it's perfect you know it, it's it leans into that that little dark part of his character but in the same way it still kind of shows it and not in it doesn't lean too much into how absolutely disgusting his character is but at the same time gives you just enough to uh find the uh, the funny of it i guess is the best way to put it i don't know how to put it without making it sound like i'm uh, a dark person myself i loved uh i loved dan Aykroyd killing the bugs <laughs> that was so funny oh i didn't mean to do that and then just getting like more and more revved up about it every time i thought it came in hot i really enjoyed the whole sketch usually there's a week point in some of these uh but yeah all the all the prisoners who came in all did something different they were all funny uh 
<laughs> Garrett was fantastic with Kill All the Whiteys I See. <laughs> the director had some great lines. So even the you know, even the straight man in the sketch had some really good stuff to work with. I found this one a little uneven though for how long it was. And and I feel like Garrett's bit was so tight and there was a couple of really good lines and moments that it made the rest of it seem like it needed a bit of a trim to get to where I wanted it to be. Um, some excellent moments for sure. Garrett crushed it. The director had a couple good lines, uh, but it was, I don't know, needed a, needed a little tightening up for me. We now go to Felina cat food. Uh, one, I think the world has been sleeping on. All was a big fan. It's the parody of the old, we switched your ingredient A with our ingredient. But in this case, the man makes uh, two casseroles. He's standing outside a supermarket. He has two casseroles, one made with uh, chicken, I believe, or fish, tuna. One made with tuna. The other one made with Felina cat chow. The star of this sketch is the woman, not a member of the uh, cast, finding out that she's just eaten some casserole with cat food in it um quick easy franken and davis piece pre-tape probably done the summer of 75 before they were even on the air uh it's from the dick cavett episode episode 12 i love this one um it's a, a big big fan of this this sketch yeah i thought it was pretty funny too my favorite part was the shocked look on her face when he told her that really got a rise out of me it's a great that, mix of shock and disgust. That terrified look on her face. Oh my! I absolutely lost it. I thought that was like the perfect, the perfect little chef's kiss for that entire sketch. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah, my thought was that I don't even think she knew what she was getting herself into. Um, I kind of honestly think it was a very honest reaction of what, what the fuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like she was just some. You know, hey, we're going to just come, come try this and we're going to tape it and blah, blah, blah. Like was not told nothing about this and then got the banger right there live. Um, I, that's what I feel. I have no idea if that's true, but I felt like that was <laughs> that's what happened in that situation. I was just going to say the fact that it wasn't cast members made it seem yeah more authentic and, and sold it harder as like a real thing that happened. Well, that's something that we talked about at the time, like in this early season, they're using a lot of not a lot, but they're using a number of people that aren't cast members. And and I think as time goes on, we lose that um, because even, even their extras are, are familiar faces after a while. So I, I think this was strengthened by it not being Gilda or Lorraine or Jane. Definitely agree. Our next sketch, Matt's a big fan of this one. I liked it, but Matt loved it. It's the Dick Cavett lookalike contest with uh, Dick Cavett and, and a large... Dick Cavett, for those who don't know, is a, is a very thin, red-haired fellow. And this guy was a, a very large, uh, dark-haired fellow with a big black mustache. Matt, talk about the Dick Cavett lookalike contest. Dick Cavett is a must-see of 70s talk TV. It's amazing how good his talk show is. Look it up. <laughs> the lookalike's outfit is wild. The shirt and tie combo that makes your eyes hurt. That that patterned jacket. And I'm pretty sure salmon pants with a white belt. <laughs> yes yeah and uh yeah i still enjoy dick's blank astonishment and the names on the screen to tell them apart still a winner still a winner with matthew yeah this I guy was fantastic i don't know who he is i don't want to know who he is i just like to think he's an actual guy who won a contest <laughs> but yeah this sketch i found this hilarious he was great and dick cavett was great too and i don't know if dick cavett knew the 
premise of the sketch or if we just went with it, but you know, it's not often when the Chiron makes me laugh as much as an actual joke. And yeah, when they put the names up and then they switch spots, this is my first time ever seeing this one, and I loved it. It was fantastic. I, I didn't enjoy this one as much. I thought it, it was an, a great premise, and when the guy walked out, I thought this is funny. But then I just feel like Dick Cavett didn't pull it off for me. Anyway, I, I did like the names coming up. I thought that was funny, but it just seemed kind of flat. I, I found it was almost like they improved it rather than wrote it. Yeah, there is that vibe to it, and 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 I don't know if that's Cavett being. Uh, trying to be uber real or whatever but yeah i know what you're saying ron there is some energy missing there which some would find it strengthens the sketch and some might find it it, it hurts the sketch yeah, yeah i'm on the opposite sorry but i found it it strengthened the sketch um the kind of improv loose feel of it um and i do think that um he did he did think it was some sort of lookalike sketch that they were going to improv and was a little taken aback at first I, that's my impression i could be wrong there but yeah i feel like dick did come in a little flat maybe even clumsy like they stepped over each other's lines a little bit but that just made the guy in the orange shirt and the mustache and the everything stick out so much more because he was so excited to be there and Dick brought him right to life. yeah and it happens all the time to him the actor's name chili can cover your ears if you want his name is marshall efron no relation to all the other efrons but uh yeah that that, that was his uh his name. I, I liked it. Again, another one where it, it works better that it's not Ackroyd or Belushi, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Next one is the K-Put stamp gun. Uh, it's basically your own pricing gun you can bring to the grocery store and uh, cost $49.95, which was a good chunk of change at the time. But uh, you could go through and, uh, and and reprice things at the grocery store. Perennial favorite of mine, mainly because such a scandal happened at an IGA up the road when I was a kid from episode uh, five, Robert Klein, written by Franken and Davis. Again, another uh, pre-taped commercial that features a lady who is not a member of the cast. Uh, Really enjoyed this one. Modern problems require modern solutions, right? And all this all this made me think of is I wish we had it now because fuck big grocery. (laughs) I just feel like they were following me around at the Value Village as I was switching tags to get the cheapest clothes at the cheapest prices. <laughs> I loved this one when I was younger because I I think we may have been living near the same IGA there, Keith. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, lo- I loved the idea of this one. Thought it was genius, but never really found it too funny. But I still love it for the genius of the uh, of the idea. Yeah, I'm with Kevin on that one. It wasn't even a funny sketch. It was just like, yeah, OK, that that makes sense. The big laugh for me is the 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 prideful look on the woman's face at the uh, end of the sketch. She definitely looks like she feels like a genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, next one from the Candace Bergen uh, Christmas episode, it was uh, Candace's second time hosting, is Mel's Char Palace. And I included the the longest of the three Mel's featuring Dan Aykroyd at, as the uh, proprietor of a restaurant where you pick, kill, stun or stun, kill and cook your own cow. I think Matt made a point that this was a uh, farm table fresh or uh, farm fresh to the table or whatever it was. Really love this one. We get to see Mel a few times over the run as of the end of season three, though Mel is finished. Uh, I still think it's one of my preferred uh, Dan's pitch uh, ad type things. You find it, you stun it, you cut it. And uh, Gilda with the buzzing saw. 
laugh out loud fun. When it pulls back and Gilda's just standing there with the big grin and the saw, I busted hard. I was like, okay, yeah, this one's a classic. And it went on, um, don't get me wrong, or agreeing with, agreeing with everyone else, the delivery and the camera pulling back with the saw. But it, was, it wasn't as good as I remembered it being. Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe it was the anticipation as soon as the, the screen came up that I seen the sign and Dan Aykroyd there was like, ah, oh, here we go, gold. Just didn't, didn't match the memory. Our next one is one that's often seen as gold, Super Bassomatic in 76, written by Dan Aykroyd. Hits number 14 on the uh, Rolling Stone list for uh, top sketches of Saturday Night Live. Originally appeared on the Ron Nesson episode. Matt, uh, we're, we're both big fans, but you're a bigger fan of this one than I am. Talk about Bathematic. I think it's the best commercial parody they've done to date. Uh, Dan's mustache, again, the star of the show. Lorraine's great in the quick cutaway, and it's just ridiculous and gross and absurd, and the blender popping around was funny. It is top tier for me as far as fake ads go. I think one of the funniest parts is the anticipation that Ackroyd's going to drink it. <laughs> yeah. It's always yeah, like, is it, oh, is he going to, is he going to drink? Oh no. Yeah. I also had that same thought. I thought maybe when they cut away that they might have uh, changed it to like chocolate milk or something in the cup really quickly. Yeah. This is uh all time top commercial parody. I think I didn't say nothing about Mel's Char Palace. Cause same thing. I watched this one right afterwards. Both are great. Both, you know, really good, very different uh, Dan performances, although they both obviously are still focused on his fast talking. But, yeah, I got to give it to this one. And I think like everybody, I have a bit of the, uh, what do they call it, like the Berenstain effect where I couldn't remember. It's like, I'm, I'm sure he drank out of that, but I guess I'm thinking of Lorraine's That's Good Bass. Yeah. yeah, no, great sketch. Just going to say, uh, I, I think I like this sketch even more. Because I did that Ron Nessum episode and it was such trash. Because <laughs> he's looked so bad as a host that this this was such a shining light in it. It's just so tight, so quick, so perfectly paced. Mm-hmm. Beautiful work. Were any of you guys other than Matt and I around for the Bat-O-Matic sketch? That was also me. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Yeah. Our next one is uh, one that split the panel. Matt and I liked it. Our third t- third chair at the time, Sean, did not like it so much. This was Michael O'Donohue piece. It's the Norman Bates School of Motel Management from, obviously, the Anthony Perkins episode. This was pretty damn awesome, and I'm, I'm a psycho fan, so maybe that informs my choice. Matt, I know you liked it as well. Yeah, I still liked it too. Such great, uh, great little jokes in it. Like you can be your own boss. The constant shots at the tax, uh, taxidermied animals. And I thought Anthony Perkins is a real good sport to do this. And <laughs> my favorite was when he had the slasher strikes again headline on the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was so good. <laughs> Sean, any change in opinion this time around? I, you know what, I I think that was it. I, I, I remember going, eh, it was okay the first time uh, I saw it. But watching it a second time, you know, I, I think maybe I knew what it was going to do and I was able to enjoy it more. Nice. Um, especially, I, I started getting chuckles when he was doing his mom impression again. <laughs> yeah. This was such a genius idea. Like, it, it was a can't-lose idea for a sketch with him leading it so he seems like he's really enjoying doing it too and you know like, like chili said earlier that had some extra points for me like it's a fun sketch to begin with but he seems like so into it that it just bumps it up an extra notch well that was one thing about his episode as we noted how how into being there and doing it he was 
he was a good host for that you know the material wasn't always great but he was all in yeah no i really like this sketch too <laughs> you know i loved when he held the newspaper up over his face to do his mother's voice <laughs> uh just great stuff maybe trickled on a little long but i'm also you know a huge psycho fan and a big anthony perkins fan uh he played a very good javert from an old les mis movie that is worth you know checking out uh no singing in it but yeah no i like this one a lot funny enough um i also like this one quite a bit um but i am not a psycho fan nor anything horror or really thriller related (laughs) (laughs) um but i really actually enjoyed uh this sketch um i thought it was well done and he did seem to really be enjoying himself which made the audience uh, really enjoy it also, I believe. So yeah, I agree with everything you guys have said so far. You no, know, I, I like, I like this one. I'm surprised as surprised as, uh, as many people liked it as I did too. I, I like how he was saying like stab the living shit out of her. And it was just so nonchalant form, just like the other A's or B's from, mm-hmm. from the questioning. Hacker to pieces, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It was probably better than most of the sequels to that movie. One of the sequels was really good. I think there was, four movies total two of the sequels are trash but i do remember one of them being like very surprised by how good it actually was it might be worth a re-look but i guess it depends on on, you know you may have to watch the two bad ones to find out which one the good one is (laughs) yeah yeah we're now off to another iconic one it's the lorne michaels beatles offer and uh this was kind of the shining light i think from the raquel welch episode uh lorne michaels offers the beatles three thousand dollars to reform on the show and uh, even back in 1975, 76, $3,000 was quite a paltry sum. This one is uh, somebody once referred to Lauren Michaels as Canada Dry. So we get a ton of that, that vibe here. Interesting bit. Some of the lore around the Beatles actually considering showing up helps it. Although I think that was more about the second time he did it. But uh, what's the thoughts on the Beatles offer? I know this one sort of uh, polarizes people. If it's funny or not, I think it's ahead of its time and quite humorous. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny, too. I, I do think it was slightly uh, – it's losing – I think I've seen it too much. I've just seen it too much at this point. So I, I don't find I find it, like, really funny anymore. But uh, I, I still think it was good television, and Lauren is Canada Dry. Come on. I just thought there was an honest, desperate sincerity to the whole bit <laughs> that made it really work for me. Uh, that it's his nice little shot at Ringo is also a great thing as well. But yeah, no, I think it's I think it's a great little bit. Yeah, I found there was definitely sincerity in the offer, but the the three thousand dollar amount kind of locked it in as I'm joking, kidding, but not kidding, you know that sort of thing, um, which I thought was really funny. Um, but I will say, ever since learning that um, Mike Myers based Doctor Evil on Lauren Michaels, it's it's all I hear when he talks right. is Doctor Evil. Yeah, this this is an all time favorite of mine. I think. Same thing, it also really benefits of it not being Chevy or Dan or anyone doing it. You know, Lorne Michaels doing it, he was on the show a few times, but having it as the you know, the actual boss of the show helps. And just the paltry sum of $3,000, which, as we all know, is one-fifth of a very highly paid janitor back then. <laughs> it's like, it. I think the fact it was such a low sum... <clears throat> actually probably would have made it more likely for them to show up rather than somebody offering them millions at that point in time. And plan B was if they did show up to tell them that uh, either bump them for time or tell them they had to bring their own instruments or the union wouldn't let them play. So the plan was to not <laughs> let them play and catch that on camera. <laughs> <laughs> 
It, it does feel a little ahead of its time in the sort yeah. of meta self-deprecating way that it presents itself. Next sketch is absolutely one of my favorites, a big sleeper hit for me. It's Garrett doing fondue for Namibia, where he's playing the president, the new president of the uh, of the democratic government of Namibia, pleading with the world to send their unused fondue sets to Namibia. Um, I love it. This is ridiculous. Matt, I can't remember how much you liked it or not. I don't remember how much I liked it or not the first time, but I didn't like it this time. I just kind of find it a bit trite. It didn't work for me. This feels like one of those skits that in the middle of a normal episode, I probably would have laughed pretty hard at, but in the middle of watching a bunch of the greatest skits from the season, it did hit a little, a little flat, but I got a chuckle out of it. Oh, I was just going to say that's so true. Like it, you really need the context of the show. Like you get warmed up by other skits and then the silliness hits and it's, that's what makes it funny. I think sometimes, but I, I like this sketch. It was cause just because it was so seen. It worked for me big time. Just the silliness of it. It's so like serious and he looks so severe. And then he just wants your fondue pots. That part. Like everyone gets them and then they put them in the closet. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Um, maybe at this point, though, I had watched a lot of funny and it was late at night. So I think I have big laughs on all the rest of them. But I found it worked really well. Next up is uh, Franken and Davis's epic sketch, Nixon's Final Days. Uh, this was from the Madeline Kahn episode, uh, episode 19. This one hits number 48 on that Rolling Stone list. Um, I was a big fan of this. I, I got to be honest, this was my number one sketch of season one the first time we went through. Upon rewatching, after having consumed so much more Nixon, uh, I, I would like to rethink that, um, but I'm not going to. Um, but yeah, Nixon's final days, and I expect to be really in the minority on this one. I can see, uh, just judging by knowing you guys and your tastes and stuff, this one is not going to sit well. Uh, did anyone like it? It's it's too long. I thought like the premise was good. A lot of the beats hit really well, but it was just... If it was just a little shorter, just like, you know, maybe by about a couple seconds, maybe even a half a minute, probably would have hit a little bit better for me. And I'm not a big Nixon fan. Like, I'm not a big fan of all the the, the Nixon-esque humor. But, like, I can watch Dan Aykroyd do Nixon for hours. I find him, I just find his character work just fantastic. In my mind, when I recall Nixon, it's Dan Aykroyd that comes (laughs) to my mind first. So, um I thought it was really funny, but I do agree. It it did feel out of place. It kind of almost had its own framing device and then sketches within it. So it was like a variety show within the variety show, which felt a little um, out of place, particularly with the the quick sketches that we've been watching in a row here. But I did have a lot of big laughs at it. Yeah, Matt, I didn't even ask, buddy. I I knew where you were going to sit on this one. You sure do. Wretched, tired, waste of time. Like I personally um, found probably the best part of the whole episode is the uh, first lady writing in her diary and clearly yeah. not writing what she's saying and just completely over-exaggerating her penmanship. <laughs> yes. Now we're going to one I know most people really enjoy. Um, never makes the lists, and it probably should. It's Talk Back with Frank Nolan featuring Buck Henry. Matt, uh, I know you love this one. Maybe you'll want to talk about it a bit while uh, I go get a drink. 
Sure thing. Uh, you, the public, can talk to Frank Nolan. He listens. Uh, his rhyming off the numbers and smoking and waiting patiently at first is great. Federally supported municipal bonds. We should absolutely talk about it. Uh, he mentions operators. There are clearly no operators. It's just Frank. You're the operator. Uh, this, and his, his escalating frustration, you know, he keeps, okay, how about I bait communism support? You know, let's bust Soviets into your community. And uh, Frank Nolan, dead puppies. Colin, talk about red puppies, and then my the line of it for me was pay for municipal bonds to bust in Soviets to your home and kill puppies. He uh, just increases his agitation. The the phone almost rings. He has a nice little stall gag. It just starts to bring up Hitler and incest. No toilets for the blind. <laughs> But I think the, the my favorite thing that I didn't catch the first time I watched it, he's on again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This starts so beautifully downbeat so that like it leaves so much room for itself, like a big old plane and a huge old runway to take off to go all the way to the stratosphere. It's just the, the ramping up and the, just the madness it gets to by the end. I loved this. It's a really good sketch. I don't know if it was because it came after the Nixon final day. So I actually went back and watched it again after having a time to digest. And I went back and watched it again after that because it just I love it so much. It's just so stupid and absurd. And I just uh, I want to watch him again tomorrow. I want to call a show. I want to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. this is a fantastic sketch. It's like, yeah, you know, um, tour de force might be pushing it a little bit, but so well performed. You know, just one guy basically talking into the camera with a little bit of prop work to go with. Yeah, this is great. I don't think I've ever seen this one before, and it was a really pleasant surprise. Yeah, I also really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was visually hilarious having all the phones just sitting in front of him, him just sitting by that brick wall or whatever, just like smoking and waiting. It was well done. Like you guys said, it's it's something that was a slow build. You know, he had room to grow. He had great timing with like his pauses and his weights. All that stuff was bang on. Um, I also uh, kind of got a bit of a personal throw act because I remember there being a similar show on our radio when I was growing up back home, literally called Talk Back also, I believe, um, where locals would just call in to complain about crap. <laughs> so it, it it was really enjoyable for me because uh, I could also picture people um, calling in and and just ranting for a while. But it was also hilarious, and I, and I enjoyed the wife coming over later and being like, "Let's go, dear. We're all done. Like, good try," <laughs> and like scooting him out the way. Um, so yeah, it was really enjoyable for me. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Uh, the way the way his wife came in too would have me wonder like, is he even on TV? <laughs> Is he just sitting in his basement with all these phones, you know? Time for bed gear. Let's go upstairs. <laughs> it was so good, though. Right from the intro, it had me. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I think I had this one. It made my top five with uh, the list at the end. And I remember watching it the first time when we were uh, do, doing the uh, little uh, uh, podcast and, and mentioning how much I enjoyed it. But yeah, this, this one was always good to watch one more time. Could go back and watch it again. This one's such a great example of good writing and good delivery because you, you could easily, if it wasn't delivered well, it would just be like, okay, we got the joke, let's move on. But he just mm -hmm. builds it and builds it so well. And like, mm -hmm. yeah, at the end, you know, like 
communists are going to kill your puppies and all that stuff. It just, it just works. The desperation. Yeah. Pizza. X sketch. Um, everyone I know who has seen it loves it. I'm, I'm among them. Uh, whether it's going to make your top three or not, I don't know. But it's Garrett Morris sings Schubert. And as he's singing this beautiful opera song, the, the, it's the first time we see the, uh, the, the rotating, not rotating, the scrolling Chiron in front of Garrett, where it says he asked them to sing a song and they thought he'd do something like My Girl or Devil with a Blue Dress. And they said, OK. And then they found out it was going to be Schubert. And they're scared of Garrett because he has a knife. Um, I loved this. I love the way it, the juxtaposition of what's going on on screen and what they're saying in the Chiron. Uh, they hit that early with people like Garrett and Buck. Such a pleasant surprise. Like I've heard Garrett singing on a few sketches and it's like, oh, Garrett can actually sing. This is very nice. Like, honestly, even without the Chiron, I would have been very happy to listen to this. I always find Garrett's kind of underused on the show and you know for better or worse a lot of times when he is used it's you know playing token characters and all that so even just the fact that the chiron was saying like hey this is a very nice performance done by a talented performer like it was nice to see garrett getting his props and the chiron itself was also funny too so it wasn't just you know because i'm a garrett fan it's it was also a funny sketch of a talented performer so this gets big thumbs up Oh, okay, uh, yeah, I really like this one. Like, uh, it was probably around the uh, time of the uh, the fondue set sketch. Uh, I was really, really sold on Garrett Morse. So when he came out and started singing, I was like, okay, I'm really going to enjoy this no matter what it is. Once the uh, text started scrolling, too, I was like, this is funny. As I'm watching, I was like, this is a big old, big old bang of uh, Kevin Spacey when he hosted it in, like, 2001, where he wanted to sing a serious song. Yeah. But, yeah, that was uh, – it was really good, and like as uh, as previously stated, I uh, did a really good job singing too. I wouldn't Google the term "big old bang" of Kevin Spacey though at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Wildly talented singer, like you know, for an underutilized sketch comedian who does you know good work as a sketch comedian, you don't expect him to come out so strong. So like they could have feasibly gotten away with just doing the performance as was. But then they remember their comedy show and they, they throw the text up on there. The knife line's hilarious. Even the part where they sort of talk about how they're sick of being seen as just a comedy show and they'd like to be a little bit nicer. And there was almost, um, I don't know, there was something in the text itself that felt a little like slightly embarrassed that it was showing a different side of itself, but just doing it anyway, you know? I don't know. There's yeah. something I liked about it. Well, there's lots of the best part about comedy is the, the small bits of honesty that kind of bleed into the, the material at times. I really like this. I like this a lot. This might be one of my highlights of this whole process today is uh, the Garrett Garrett singing sketch. Anyone not like it? I mean, I thought it was OK. I didn't love it. Yeah. Now we go to one that you did love, Matt, and I wasn't particularly fond of the Southern Hospitality Poker Game. Tell us about oh, it, Matt. Sir, Tell about what an it. honor. What an, <laughs> what honor. an honor. Yes. Tell me oh, with honor. On me, sir, an honor. You, an honorable gentleman. Uh, Chevy's fake language is funny. Uh, Elliot Gould uh, introducing himself on purpose as extremely Jewish and being his backer was very funny. Uh, Dan 
totally un, very uncharacteristic of the kind of characters Dan portrays, runs away with the sketch, with his Klingon obsession with honor and dignity, and just letting him take his money and his lamps and poor Garrett being like, for God's sakes, Mr. Russo, Mr. Russo, like, look what's going on. Uh, I, I thought it was uh, such a fresh, interesting performance from Dan and truly, truly honorable. Where's everyone else sitting on this one? This was uh, this polarized Matt and I. I think I did this sketch, and I don't think I liked it at the time. And if I did like it at the time, I was wrong. There are some good points to this sketch, but the whole honorable thing got old. I didn't like Chevy's. This is a rare case where I'm a big Belushi fan, but Belushi's foreign gibberish was 10 times better than Chevy's foreign gibberish. And I don't even think Belushi's is that good. Mm. I don't know. I, I did not like the sketch. And to be honest with you, I was kind of surprised to see it on uh, the list of potential best of. Well, sir, I'm sure you watched it with honor. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought the setup was really funny. And like the first, when he first like grabbed and looked at his cards, that was unexpected at that point. And that was really funny, but I did find that it, that whole, locked into honor and this escalating of this is how we do it in Europe did kind of lose its steam after a few jokes. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely felt a little sloppy. Like they knew what they were supposed to be doing and they got a little carried away and there was like a lot of stepping on each other's lines and like the beats weren't getting hit. It's like a, a, the the dance was performed wrong, but I, I did get kind of a kick out of the, the whole thing, the premise and the characterizations were good, but the actual execution of the lines I felt was a little janky. Yeah. Yeah. It was a home run for me, but I do think it was maybe a little long and I agree, like almost like they didn't rehearse it enough or something. The framework for a decent kind of sketch was there for me, but it needed more like it needed to be put back for another week and tried again. Yeah. I, I think that's was always the big problem I found with the first season of SNL. All the sketches had a really good idea, but the execution was always a little too long or they didn't know how. But to me, it always felt like, I don't know how we're going to wrap this up. From episode 20, the Elliot Gould episode, second appearance of Elliot Gould, The Last Voyage of the Starship Enterprise, written by Michael O'Donohue. Um, this is an early, early, early impression of... Uh, the, the Star Trek cast, um, as I recall, we were really impressed with everyone. We really liked how they used uh, um, associate producer as Uhura and uh, and uh, Leo Yoshimura as Sulu. Uh, it's a takeoff of the cancellation of Star Trek by NBC. Uh, yeah, any thoughts on this one? I know we've got some Trek fans here. This is good. I would say for my tastes, it also ran on. Uh, too long, and I didn't even find there were that many jokes in the beginning. It really picked up once the executive showed up. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if this is going to come up later on, but I think if we're going to talk about who's the star of the, I guess we'll say, night, like, how many of these sketches has Elliot Gould been in? Like, they really put on their working boots, the writers do, when he's on there. And it was a solid sketch, but too long and could have cut, uh, cut to the chase a lot quicker for my liking. As someone who doesn't really care about Star Trek, this was painfully long. The fact that this is on a best of compilation tells me I'm in the minority, I think, about not really giving a shit about Star Trek. But I feel like this relied a lot on you caring about that. And if you didn't, eh, time to go make a sandwich. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, 
it's it's not it's not for everyone but i just you know for once just let me have one once in a while this is for me uh and like i fucking love star trek and they address that oh you know people love star trek even though we canceled it years ago I thought it was pretty good. The the breakdown of the uh, set was really surreal. Chevy Chase is such a good Spock, though. And, and I wish the, I kind of wish the Coneheads had come out. I was actually expecting it to be the Coneheads when I saw the, that there was a, a car chasing them because I wasn't exactly sure where it placed in the whole timing of everything. But I was kind of hoping it would be the Coneheads. And then it just became this meta commentary and another like, screw you, NBC, we're rebel kids or whatever. But you know what? I'm happy for you to have this as a Trek fan because I don't mind going to make a sandwich either. Sandwiches are great. Yeah, thanks, Mark. (laughs) Um, I loved it. And I would say I medium care about Star Trek. I'm familiar with it because my husband's a huge fan. Um, So I've seen lots of the the films and TV shows and whatnot. Uh, But I really liked it. I, I didn't mind the length. I thought it was really funny. I loved when they were all trying to kill the guy and he was just like, turn off the special effects and they couldn't figure it out. Uh, right to the end when they tore down the set and then uh, Chevy Chase's meltdown at the end, wanting his ears back. And I have a contract. I thought that was so funny. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't know it was possible to be a huge Star Trek fan and a husband at the same time. So I don't give a flying fuck about Star Trek, but um, I got to tell you, I actually kind of enjoyed the sketch a little bit. Um, I knew the story of why like NBC canceled it. So when they had like the what well, like the car chase and then they said it was from NBC. It's like, oh, this is gonna be a sketch about how they canceled like their most popular TV show. Dope. Um, and it kind of, I think the length, like, yeah, yes, it's too long, but I also think the like kind of worked for it to a degree because yeah. you're waiting for it to get to the point and then it gets to the point, but then there's a secondary point on top of that. Plus, you know. Elliot Gould, you gotta let the man. You gotta let the man cook. You know, you gotta let the man do his. Gotta let the man do his thing. He's he's the highlight of that whole sketch for me, and um, the end with um, Chevy losing his mind. But yeah, I, you know, it's it's not great, but it's not bad. I like. I'm a big Star Trek fan too. Like a lot a lot of you here, and uh, I I may have missed a lot of the jokes in it because I'm listening to what they're saying to pick up. Like yeah, okay, that is an alien race. That is an alien race that was in this episode. And noticing the small details in the background. So I didn't notice, didn't pick up a whole lot in what, what sentences they were saying as opposed to saying the right words. Then just as I finished writing down, like I was writing down bonus points for almost any sketch, as soon as I put down Elliot Gould stole the knife is the moment he takes the ears off Spock and then just nonchalantly throws them off camera. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoyed how much they beat on NBC. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what is it? Uh, what's John Oliver say? Business daddy, Kev? Kev? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Business daddy, AT&T, or it's uh, Discovery now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the last one we had on the list was uh, Ambassador Shirley Temple, and this was a Marilyn Miller-Paul Schaefer deal where uh, Shirley Temple, the Shirley Temple, had just been named uh, Ambassador, and uh, it was little girl Shirley Temple, as played by Lorraine, going over to uh, to mitigate or to, uh, what's the better word, arbitrate between uh, warring factions. And, uh, of course, the, the telegraph goes off and they have to tap dance Morse code. Uh, stellar performance by Lorraine and uh, sort of a musical, we get to see some musical chops as well from Garrett and uh, Elliot Gould. 
This was from the Ellie Gould second episode. So again, another another appearance by Mr. Gould. I know I liked it. Uh, Lorraine's voice is amazing. She is hilarious in that outfit because she's so long and gangly. It's <laughs> just so <laughs> fitting. Uh, I thought her saying war is icky. That was pretty funny. The three of them had amazing chemistry. I thought it was a great sketch, even if the humor was a little mad magazine. Yes. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, as anyone knows, I do enjoy anything with a little dance number in it. And I quickly noticed they had tap shoes on at, towards the very start of the sketch. And I was like, yes, please. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I also grew up as a Shirley Temple fan, watching all of her old movies with my grandmother. So I think she had a great impression of her as like an adult slash child version of Shirley Temple. Um, she was you know, so sweet, it was kind of sickening and annoying, but like lovely and endearing all at the same time. And I think it was just hilarious how she was able to like dupe the boys into getting along by losing her dolly that she had all along. Um, so no, I really, I really enjoyed this number. Like, this this whole sketch, yeah. I didn't find I didn't find the sketch too funny, but I definitely walked away from it feeling warm and fuzzy on the inside, the <laughs> singing and dancing in it. And uh, on t- like on top of that, did uh, I, I don't know if I was seeing things, but it may have been an unscripted part. But uh, I think it's when she's talking to the uh, lieutenant there and says like is saying that her dolly is was with her the whole time. On the far right hand side, I I think uh, Elliot and uh, Garrett, I think they kiss. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I didn't see that. I'll watch it back. You've been writing fan fiction again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, Lorraine's performance is so strong and she's so like nailing the character. But at the same time, because she's so disproportionately shaped for how you're used to seeing Shirley Temple, there's almost this weird sort of grotesque sort of horror angle to the whole thing too but just i was laughing my ass off start to finish for this these guys crushed it yeah anyone who has listened to me on the show knows i've become a very big lorraine fan but yeah there was a there is a grotesqueness to seeing her being so long and it's almost like a like something like silent hill or something this tall little doll pretty much so yeah, overall, lots to like in uh, lots to like in this sketch. Yeah, whatever happened to Baby Lorraine, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like that Uncanny Valley thing where she's so close to looking childlike, but she's still clearly an adult that it's almost uncomfortable to look at. It's. <laughs> I have to say it too, though, because Lorraine was stellar in this one, yeah. and I also enjoyed the, so uh, the tap dance. It was a great gag. I took I took a minute there and I opened up the video and it's a uh, one hour thirty two minutes and thirty five and thirty three seconds. So my 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 eyes weren't playing tricks on me there. They do actually kiss. Yeah. So uh, Matt, let's rewrite history here. The first um, same sex interracial kiss was not O.J. Simpson and Bill Murray. <laughs> From Mandingo 2, see season 3. That's, it's a that's too bad, because that's the only thing those two guys would be known for. Yes, I know. <laughs> those, those names are now lost to history. 
so everybody, that was our sort of t- our, our quasi top 24 of season one. A lot of people, if they made their lists, it would be different. Certainly the lore tells us there's a few missing that are big names like um, Matt and Mark. I think you were with us for that Supreme Court Chevy and Jane in a bed and the Supreme Court come in and interrupted them. Does that ring a bell to you guys? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Supreme Court justices all came in while they were trying to have some uh, romantic time. Yeah, and they kept yeah. interrupting. Yeah, so there's that one is always on lists, didn't do anything for us. Um, there's the courtroom scene from episode one where a note gets passed down. Another one that makes lists that we didn't uh, we didn't think too highly of. Um, some bits and pieces from Weekend Update. I didn't include update in these. Um, if there is a standout from update for me, it is Garrett's uh, Garrett's uh, school of hard of hearing. Uh, maybe Lorraine's uh, reporter as well, and Tom Schiller's bad drawings, as well as some of Chevy's jokes. So everybody's been asked to sort of rank their top three. Um, so if you need a minute to do so, please go ahead. But what I want to ask you right now, based on these, and somebody alluded, I think it was Chili alluded to it, alluded to it before. Based on these sketches and these sketches alone, if you were to pick somebody who sort of is the all-star of season one, I guess the all-star of the all-star of sketches, certainly don't have to answer because I don't have an answer myself. Uh, who would be your all-star of season one based purely on these 24 sketches? I, I guess since I alluded to it before, I'll go first. I, I got to say Elliot Gould. He's been he was good in a bunch of them. And I'm, I don't know. It's you got to give some credit to the writers. They must have liked writing for him or. He's he's also very versatile. So yeah. you look, he was in the honor sketch, like the the gambling one, the Shirley Temple one, the Star Trek one, and the Interior Demolitionists. And I don't think he played the same, you know, quote unquote character in any of them. So yeah, no, talented guy. Elliot Gould would be my choice too. That's an easy pick. Yeah, man's a chameleon, hundred percent. Going to go with uh, Elliot Gould as well. Sorry. I like yeah. Elliot Gould, but that's almost like bringing in the ringer. So if I pick someone from the regular cast, I would have to go with a uh, with a uh, Garrett Morris. And just like back up what uh, Chili just said there, I think every skit that he he rhymed off, uh, Garrett Morris was also in them as well, playing almost completely different characters each time too. I gotta go with Dan Aykroyd myself. His characterizations are so strong. He has so much range with all the different things he does, and his energy just totally sells. There's some skits that completely fall flat if anyone else is doing them. His pitch guy is perfect. Um, so, yeah, Dan's my pick. Also, to just tack on to what Kevin said there, too, is that I know at least the episodes I've helped out with and even a bunch of the episodes I've watched, uh, the comments often made that Garrett's kind of underused. And I think how prominent he was in a lot of these sketches, uh, I think, is a good point that, you know, when he was given something to work with, a lot of times he would hit it out of the park. So he would be a close second for my favorite. Yeah, I'm giving my vote to Garrett Morris as well. He was, like you said, when he had something to do, he did he did a really good job of it. And um, also his singing talent really blew me away. That's my vote for this series. <laughs> Yeah, guys, I'm pretty much on the same par as you guys. I'm I'm bouncing back between my brain with Gould and Garrett. Can't decide who was the better, to be honest, because um, they just were both doing so uh, such amazing jobs on all their skits that they were in. So, yeah, it's, it's a hard pick for me, actually. So I'm not sure if I can pick one. Maybe I'll just tie them up. G&G for the win. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, for for me, I mean, at the time we went through the whole season, I went with Aykroyd. Um, it's it's hard to sort of reframe it now, but uh, I, I'd probably stick there. But the point was made that if Garrett's given something to do, he's stellar. Elliot Gould, of course, one of the better hosts, and the cast was still finding their feet. And you know, at this point in time, the show was all about Chevy. So take your pick. I'm surprised nobody picked the cat food lady. <laughs> she was great. I was uh, I was trying to think of who my favorite was, and I, I think I'm gonna have to go with Dan Aykroyd, um, huh? only because he made it into the top, like in my top three. Two of the sketches he was in was ones I picked. Okay. But they like yeah. Come to think of it though, it's it's really hard to really nail down who was the strongest one because they all uh-huh. brought something to the to the show. Like yeah, even like, and the guests as well. They all brought something like. Buck Henry, as we mentioned, nobody else could have done that sketch with a phone call as well as Buck Henry did. Like it's almost no. impossible to really say which was the best. My original top three, I'm going to give them now. They were made a year a year and a half ago. Number three for me was Garrett sings Schubert. Number two for me was uh, Germasol, the role on deodorant. And number one was Nixon's Final Days. Um, I would change that if I, I suppose I could, but uh, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to stick with that. Matt, you are going to change yours, I believe. Um, So let's go through and let's hear everybody's third favorite sketch of the year. And I'll start with Adrian, who sent along uh, Beethoven as her third favorite. So let's go to uh, Kevin first. Third favorite, you said. Yeah, I, my third favorite was the Beatles offer. Actually, I'm a big okay. fan. I love a good, uh, good old glass of Canada Dry here and then. So yeah, can, uh, yeah Beatles offer. I you know, just gives me a, a nice little chuckle. Makes me feel good. My tummy sore. Love it. <laughs> All right, Chili. What was your third favorite? Yeah, I'm gonna throw a special mention to Lauren's offer to the Beatles, but I almost don't consider that a sketch, so I don't rank that the same. Uh, I'm going to give it to Garrett singing talented guy doing talented stuff. And they did some really funny Chirons, which were a pretty prominent part of the first couple seasons of SNL. So it's nice to see them used to their maximum. Very nice. Jen. My number three was talk back with Frank Nolan. Very yes. good. I kind of made up the titles for them. So yeah. no worries. Uh, okay. I, I actually, there, I, you know, it's funny depending on what source you go to. A lot of them don't have official titles. Mark, what was your third favorite? I'm going with Ambassador Shirley Temple for number three. Wow, <laughs> nice. It was just so odd, but even when I wasn't laughing, I was enjoying it. Like, the whole vibe and everything. It was, it was a good time. It was strange, oh, but it was great. <laughs> Sean? Uh, what I had for number three was the jailhouse. Uh, it just was so absurd at the very beginning with <laughs> Dan Hackard with his tap dancing <laughs> It reminded the early beginning reminded me of a, a Monty Python sketch, and it, it yeah. had me from then on. Good choice, uh, Kev. For my for my number three, I I'm gonna have to give it to Shimmer. It was a funny idea. It was well played out by all three people involved, and I I still remember the sketch almost perfectly from the first time I seen it, like 37 years ago. Yeah, yeah, Rebecca. But I think I'm gonna go with Talkback as my number three. Very good, Ron. Uh, I'm actually going to go with the last voyage of the Starship Enterprise and uh, not just because of the jokes, but 
I am a Star Trek fan, for one thing. I appreciated the effort they put into uh, sticking to the canon. And also, I love the uh, ragging on NBC part. Yeah. <laughs> Again, my uh, number three was Garrett singing Schubert. Matt, what was your what's your new number three? My new number three, the Norman Bates School of Motel Management, where you can be your own boss. I thought Anthony Perkins was terrific. I thought it was awesome that he's willing to do a character that at this time is like really old and pretty much all he's super famous for. And, you know, not all hosts are going to have that attitude like, well, I don't want to do this. Well, I don't want to do that. People know me too much for this. Lighten the fuck up. Uh, Anthony Perkins obviously into it loved it laughed at it again this time number three we're gonna go backwards for number two uh matt uh put you on the spot again my number two sketch was basomatic dan's best commercial parody of all time that's the whole commercial parody that i enjoyed start to finish gotta use the whole bass matt my number two again was germisol the roll-on house deodorant (laughs) I will die by Germisol. Ron, what's your number two? Uh, for that one, I went with uh, Garrett singing Schubert. Yeah, he was he was great, and I loved the um, the cleverness of him doing the serious song next to the Chiron's uh, the jokes in there. It was great. Awesome, Rebecca. So I'm going to go with Felina and the cat food. She's just it was just too genuine and too laughable. Uh, I quite enjoyed it. The sell of it was great. Um, yeah, it was, I really enjoyed that one. Now, I don't know if you chimed in. Is it better that it wasn't cast? Oh yeah. 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 yeah, Definitely. Kev. Uh, uh, My my number two was a talk back. I, I don't, I think I've seen it before, but I don't recall it. And it started to just drag on and on and on. And then once he started to get his frustrations out and things just start to get ridiculous and over the top, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm laughing pretty good now. So it was yeah. a good build up and a good delivery and nice little cherry on top at the end there. Sean, what's your number two? I went with Landshark or Josh too. Uh, just the delivery of Dan Aykroyd once again, um, where he, he goes, I got good news and bad news. And yeah, Landshark. Mark, number two. I'm going with Talkback. Just an absolute masterclass in like the building of tension and taking a premise from a small place to a big place at the right pace. Jen, what's your number two? My number two is Convict's Audition for Gigi. I just thought it was really, really funny. Um, and when it started to get dull, it got exciting again. I really enjoyed it start to finish with maybe a little dip kind of in the middle there. Yeah, Life or Follies is the... More uh, official name, but we'll take it. Chili, <laughs> <laughs> number two. Yeah, I'm giving this one to uh, Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase, the job interview. It was, it's iconic. It's funny. Both guys played the role really, really well. And especially being on, I what, the second episode? Uh, I don't know if the show has ever managed to be this edgy with all, without crossing over the line into just being crass or vulgar and you know that's what late night tv needed at that time so it's iconic for a reason kevin what's you what's your thoughts on number two uh my number two is going to be norman bates uh i just really enjoyed his um his just his sincerity as the character like it just it's very off-putting disarming but at the same time just very hilarious and it's great to see as um 
as Matt put, it's great to see people just being like, I played this character. I'm going to play them again, and it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And Adrian's number two was Garrett Singh Schubert. So number one, uh, we've got uh, I'm just following along here on my spreadsheet. We've got a pretty tight, uh, pretty tight race going on right now. Adrian's number one was Jaws to the Land Shark. Iconic piece, hilariously done, very well done. You know, extra credit to the production folk who are who make such a big difference in all these sketches. Kevin, what was your number one? My number one is going to be Talkback, only because it just it reminds me. It actually reminds me of something I wrote uh, a few years back. Nice. So I absolutely love just small, singular character pieces where someone just gets to be just absolutely unhinged and just play around with the entire kind of set, the entire environment by themselves. Absolutely love stuff like that. So yeah, talk back number one for me. Bing, bing, bing. Perfect. Jilly, what's your number one? Yeah, this one actually surprised me a little because I did not think this would be my number one going in, but uh, Shirley Temple Diplomat. Oh, wow. Nice. And on, the reason for it is it really has everything you'd want from an SNL sketch. It's topical. It was funny throughout. It had a good use of the guest star. It had, you know, music. And like, you know, it is a variety show. It had singing, dancing. It had Lorraine doing a great performance. So, yeah, I there's really not anything you can knock against this. And even though it wasn't a short sketch, it also didn't overstay its welcome for me. So I'm even a little bit surprised by this one, but I can't think of a single thing this sketch did not have. Very good. Jen. My number one was Norman Bates Motel Management School. Um, I think you could take that sketch and put it into this Saturday Night Live that's going to air this Saturday, and no one would even notice that it was something that had been recorded 30-some years ago. Great point. Mark. This is really tough, and I feel really weird not putting Bassomatic in here, but maybe I've just seen it too many times. And the one I am going to go with, uh, maybe it's just the new hotness, but I'm going with the new shimmer. Not a second wasted, no fat on it whatsoever. Laugh, start to finish. It's good times. Sean, number one, cat food. And now knowing hearing that that lady wasn't even a regular, just some stranger, adds yep. now more to the humor on top, like cat food. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it now laughing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good one. All right, Kev, what's your number one? Uh, from the uh, from the hour and a half long video I watched, I have for two favorite things. I actually have a tie on there, so double main event is uh, no main event. But like, what I have tied for favorite things was a uh, land shark, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, Jane Curtin in the SNM gear, not okay. the skit, not the skit, just <laughs> her in the gear. Okay, so we'll, we'll give the official points to Land Shark. Um, with a special asterisk next to James S&M gear. <laughs> Rebecca, what's your favorite? I got to go with Miss Shirley Temple. Really? The curls and all. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I thought it was just a really fun um, fun sketch. It, uh, it was the last sketch of the series that we watched, um, in the order that we watched. And uh, most times by the end of something, I get a little bit of you know boredom done i'm like okay i need to be like this needs to be over now but the sketch put me into it and uh, i quite enjoyed it ron what was your favorite i have to go with uh, jaws 2 land shark I, um, I appreciated all the sketches 
yep. and thought they were, you know, the one. But this is the the one that elicited the most laughs out of me. Nice. Just just because it's so silly. My favorite when we completed this was uh, Nixon's final days. Matt, what was your favorite sketch? Quick preamble. Uh, first and foremost, I think your favorite pick is absolutely bananas. Well, so do I now. I do now, yes. But uh, um, yeah. And I am. I. It, you know what? I'm so like happy about the Anthony Perkins sketch getting so much love. You'd think I had something to do with it. I'm like, <laughs> uh, I didn't. Uh, high five, Kevin. The best sketch, in my opinion, that we watched was Talk Back with Frank Nolan. I thought it was an absolute masterclass. Buck Henry really just put out there by himself to do this and killed it. And, uh, you know, again, I I love how much it keeps coming up. It's uh, just a remarkable use of a host and knowing what he can do and writing something funny for him and giving him the confidence to go that long. Because at some point you're like, is this just going to keep going? And yeah, it does. And you're going to fucking love it. (laughs) Best sketch of the season. So before I jump, I'm going to tell Matt, uh, Matt, your favorite when we did this a long time ago. Oddly enough, Matt, number three was Southern Hospitality Poker. No surprise for me there. In fact, an honor. <laughs> number two was Talkback. Number two was Talkback? Get the fuck. Yes. Oh, Fascinating. got you. I flipped them. That's fine. You know, yeah. your favorite song changes on a daily basis exactly. sometimes. Yeah, it's fine. They're, 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 I'm, I'm totally comfortable in that. I, I actually enjoy hearing Matt talk about the Southern Hospitality <laughs> poker game far more than I ever did the actual sketch. So um, <laughs> third place is Ambassador Shirley Temple. In second place, Jaws to the Landshark. And in first place, this is rewriting the lore, folks, but I think we can all agree. I don't think anyone hated it. Some of you loved it. I love it. Talk Back with Frank Nolan is the best sketch of season one based on our mildly flawed but still efficient uh, scoring system. Democracy work. A a really great sketch. Is anyone completely pissed with that choice? No, I had that in my top uh, five. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Um. Looking at now, kind of surprised that didn't make its way into my top three. I, I absolutely love the irony that we're all calling in to talk about this show that nobody <laughs> wants to call in and talk. <laughs> it was third on mine, um, but I definitely agree that it was the one that we agreed about the most. You know, I don't think it gets there for me without no toilets for blind people. But it got there in the end. That's all that matters. <laughs> it was number two on my list, and uh, it's one of the few sketches I found that uh, I'm sure I'm sure I could be proven wrong on the re-listen to of this recording that the shorter the sketch was, the longer we talked about it because we enjoyed it more. This seemed to be the one long sketch that we actually spoke about in length about. Good point. So, yeah. Uh, wow. This is what this group of Gen Xers and millennials from 48 years later say is the best sketch of season one. Like I said, it doesn't make too many lists, but uh Matt and I talked early on, and this show is about as much about knocking down the lore as it is about giving our uh, opinions. It, it's a little unfair, too, because like our generation is known for being like huge Buck Henry marks. <laughs> 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 I got a face tattooed on my back. 
and and Buck did it. Um, when did Buck die? No, Buck Henry died in 2020, non-COVID. God damn it. Yeah. Well, Buck Henry, we've talked about as a real treasure that folks have kind of lost over the years. Uh, even Saturday Night Live doesn't sort of honor him the way they probably should in a lot of ways. Like Buck said, they always saved the more salacious sketches for when I was coming on next. And and you know what, dude? Uh, we didn't include it in our best ofs or in the best of video, just based on a, like a category differentiation, whatever thing. But he was in the best Gary Weiss film I've ever seen. He was in two of the best, as far as I'm concerned. Don't forget, I know you love the toilet seat one. Love but, it. Uh, there's also the who's the funniest person in Irvington, New York. Shit, that was good, too. But I do prefer the toilets. It was a yep. little more. It's just there was something about the realness of him talking to people at the toilet seat store. And it was clearly unscripted. And he was just going with it. He was just brilliant. It was brilliant. Absolutely. Which brings me to my next point. Uh, Kevin, Chili, Jen, Mark, Sean, Kev, Rebecca, Ron, Matt, of course. Um, our next little special like this will be going through the Gary Weiss films. Uh, I think most of you have seen at least one during your time on the show. Uh, he's all down for joining us again in a little while to look at the uh, works of Gary Weiss. If Chili isn't of here, course. I'm not coming. I want to hear Chili go through Gary Weiss movies. <laughs> I, I've not always been a good man. So I assume <laughs> there's a chance I could die and go through hell, <laughs> and it would be entirely Gary Weiss films. But yes, I will. I will join. I'd like to remind the masses that there was once a uh, a quick shot of the World Trade Center in a Gary Weiss film, and Chili said this Gary Weiss film is the worst thing to ever happen to the World Trade Center. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, Matt, how wonderful was it to have so many third chairs with us tonight? It was awesome, man. I love the highlight reel. We should do this more often. Like we yeah. should do it for the we should do it as a season ender with all the third chairs we can get. Matt and I will be back very shortly with our thoughts on season three and also our top music, top sketches, our star of the year, all sorts of fun stuff. And then we'll have a bunch of third chairs together to uh, talk about the work of Gary Weiss, who finished up his SNL run in uh, in season three. Uh, Chili, Kevin, Kev, Jen, Mark, Sean, Rebecca, Ron and Matt. Thank you all for joining us tonight was a lot of fun to find out what the best sketch of season one was an honor sir thank you for the honor <laughs> so until we speak again matt and i will be calling frank nolan here in sn Fuck yeah, dude. Thank you very much, everyone. Oh.